0: Hey everyone, welcome back to my Blacadian universe. This week, I had the opportunity to speak with Sol Rack uh, about the Harlem Renaissance. We started our conversation on the catalyst for the Renaissance, which was the Great Migration. Uh, it was a great talk. Thank you so much, Sol Rack, for sharing your wisdom with us. I uh, hope you enjoy. How are you feeling, first off?
1: <laughs> well, I'm feeling better, but oh, but what we need to talk about is so important. I don't want to prolong that any longer. Um, right. And I felt the need of urgency, so I didn't want to prolong it Absolutely. at this point. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just grateful, again, that we have a chance to talk about these things that highlight some of the struggles that go on within the community past, present, as well as future. Mm -hmm. So it's very thoughtful what you're doing. So I appreciate the opportunity. Once again,
0: I absolutely appreciate you taking the time and talking about it with us and sharing your knowledge. So I'm excited about it. So, uh, do you want to start, I guess, by telling us a little bit, um, Mm. about the great migration?
1: Absolutely. Um, but I know ideally we want to touch on the Hollow Renaissance that's for some of those listeners out there that's eager to hear about it. We're definitely going to dive into that shortly. <laughs> um, so stay, put your seatbelt on and ride out
0: with
1: us because <laughs> yes, we're definitely going to get to it. And and But we want to talk about the roots because for anything to become a reality, something had to cause it, had to create it or cause it to happen. And so that's why it's important, as Denise and I both Understood, or as we both said um, on this podcast, is that it's important to to understand the history uh, behind the uh, Harlem Renaissance, what caused it to happen, and what it, why it became a reality. And we couldn't talk about Harlem Renaissance without talking about the Great Migration. And so, with that being said, the Great Migration, in short, basically, it was just a it was a relocation of African Americans, Black Americans that lived in the South that migrated from the south because during that time there was Jim Crow was was prevalent and there was op- economic opportunity um in the north the midwest and elsewhere uh for people to to brighten their horizons or make their situation better than what it was in the south um, what's so odd about the whole thing was that at that time before the great migration took place there was 90 percent. 90 percent of black americans or blacks lived in the south during that time it was 90 percent um and a total between i guess you say 1910 to 1970 it differs depending on the historians as far as the start date but generally a general consensus is 1910 to 1970 was the total time frame there was a total two migrations first migration being from nine, 1910 to 1940 and then 1941 to 1970 but total there was a total of six million people that migrated out of the south from the south which was experiencing Jim crow so it was a a very challenging time but it was an important time because without these things happening in the south we wouldn't even have what we know today as the harlem renaissance it was the result of the great migration taking place Mm mm-hmm yeah
0: what's so interesting about the great migration is that um american you know the african american like black citizens had to sort of flee yes. the south almost like refugees mm-hmm. um, just to the north to be treated like american citizens they weren't getting the same you know rights and access to um you know things that they were entitled to mm-hmm. in the south
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, so you know they sort of had to you know move to the north to sort of to get that access so mm-hmm.
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah because um in the south because of jim crow law being law i mean jim crow laws being in place um you couldn't really move up economically um you mm-hmm. would it was basically the way i i like to term it it was more or less um you know we at, at free slaves they left one place and through the emancipation proclamation to go to another uh, former slave living in the South under Jim Crow laws, so you left one place and went to, one plantation, and went to another one. So ideally, mm-hmm. you your, your situation in life wasn't better, even though on paper it said you were free. You didn't experience mm-hmm. freedom, freedom uh, because mm-hmm. of the fact that you still had to work for low wages and you still were in the caste system. And at that mm-hmm. point, you were in a position whereas you would work the fields, you would still take care of the, the youth. Um, you still were cooking and you still was in a domesticated role. So there wasn't no chance for advancement. And mm-hmm. because of World War One, and there was a shortage of workers, um, some of the companies that were up north were enticing uh, African-Americans in the south to come there for economic opportunity. But more than that, like you said, I wanted to get this monkey off my back. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I'm ready to get out of here because, yep. you know, besides the unequal treatment um, mm. because of the Jim Crow laws being, in existence there was um it was enforced by brutality i mean Mm -hmm. there was a point in time where people that broke the laws and i'm just going to read a few of them just to let you know how how simple they were but yet Mm -hmm. you do these basic things that we take for granted today um you can easily get lynched or you can be brutalized um and so there was just just some simple things that happened like one of them was like, um, like a black male could not offer his hand to shake hands with a white man because it was, it was implied being socially equal. So you couldn't even mm-hmm. do that. That was mm-hmm. one of the things you couldn't do. Even, even uh, black people were not allowed to show public affection towards one another in the public, especially kissing because of offended whites. So things that we take for granted were offensive. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't even ride in the same car
0: uh, mm-hmm. driven
1: by a white person. You had to sit in the back seat or the back of the truck. So those mm-hmm. are just things that you couldn't do um, as as part of that caste system, as part of that role that you had to fulfill in order for you to, and it was not just, it was a way of life, but it also was survival because at any given time, the Klan could come get you, take you out your home, and the laws didn't work for you. So it was nothing for a person to be lynched over the simplest things. I mean, the prime example of that is Emmett Till, uh, which was, you know, he, he, supposedly whistled at a, a white woman. And then because he did that, uh, people mm-hmm. came in his home and took him out of his bed and he was, you know, um, lynched as a result. And, you know, I mean, actually he was killed um, as, as yeah. a result of that. I, I stand corrected. So those mm-hmm. things were commonplace. That wasn't out of the norm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was just the normal, the norm that was normal at that point in time.
0: Yeah. It's uh it's no wonder that, you know, people were you know there was this mass move of millions um of um just because it's not even like the that just based on the caste system of jip pro but just you know it must have been such a a terrible time to not even have like these perceived violations of like this you know ridiculous laws of you know like Mm -hmm. showing affection i mean um i think I remember just sort of in my brief research, I, mm-hmm. I'm not as well-versed as you, but I think even something as ridiculous as like playing a game of chess or something mm-hmm. like that, it was actually written into law. Yeah. So you're thinking people are just making it up, you know, as they go along, just like these uh, perceived um, upsets to, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. So um, yeah. yeah, amazing what... Uh, hatred and can do mm-hmm. um so uh the aftermath of the great migration mm-hmm. so i know you talked a little bit about the cause and jim crow um mm-hmm. uh, and sort of did you want to speak a little bit about sort of what happened you know after
1: sure that sure yeah one thing i do want to mention um and it was an interesting fact. It said that during the time that the lynching was at its height, and Mississippi was one of the worst states for mm-hmm. lynching. Now, that's what happened. That's where Emmett Till was uh, killed. Even though, mm-hmm. but uh, Mississippi was one of the worst. But, they, but it was stated that there was at least three lynchings per week in the South, and mm-hmm. and this was like a spectator sport. People would actually come in large crowds and watch, and leave with souvenirs from the person that was lynched, which would be. A bone from that person the ear it, et cetera, so it was not only was it inhumane, but it was treated mm-hmm. as sport, like going to watch a football yeah. game or if you're or whether you watch American football or you watch uh football overseas or any type of sport we see today, it was treated as such. it was like a great event, so it was just mm-hmm. um just that mentality was just wrong within itself, you know so yeah but Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But touching on the aftermath aspect of it, um, you know, there was a person who was one of the, I would say, crusaders against anti-Lich and uh, Ida B. Wells. She pretty much um, started writing the newspapers. Hey, you know, we need to basically move out of this situation and move elsewhere Um, because one of her friends by the name of Thomas Moss, he was a black man that was murdered because of the fact his business was doing better than a Than a white competitor and so they wanted to destroy his business and because he was resistant uh they ended up killing him because they wanted his business not to be competitive anymore and they they killed him as a result of him being resistant towards their demands and so she wrote in the newspaper about it and basically because she was an advocate against anti-lynching uh they destroyed her newspaper's offices and 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 tried to get to her as well of course she Wow. my memory is mm-hmm. correct i think she eventually relocated because of the threats and things of that nature that was placed upon her life uh, but one of the one of the things that and the reason i mentioned that because although we were encouraged to move elsewhere and to get away from the south there were um because we were moving and that migration was taking place there was resistance because you have to take in consideration even though that caste system was in place, there were people that benefited from it. They benefited from it because we provided, we cooked the food, we cleaned the houses, cared for the kids, and worked the fields. So there was resistance. People didn't want, they didn't want African Americans leave or Black Americans leave. So they was trying their best to, to keep us from moving. And one of the people that were, that was kind of saying, "Well, hey, let's work it out." And you can consider him however you want. I let that be. I let the jury decide how they. Well, their opinion about Booker T. Washington, but he was one of the persons that was saying, well, hey, you know, let's go ahead. I'll use one of his sayings to say those in my race who depend on better to better their condition. I would say cast down your buckets where you are. So basically he was saying, well, ahead, let's stay here. Let's work it out. And if we work mm-hmm. it out here. We can prove our value and we will be able to create better race relationships. I mean, race relations, if we work it out rather than just going up north. Uh, for better opportunity, we can create better opportunities here, matter <laughs> you know. So, so,
0: yeah, it's a it's a scary thing to sort of you know leave behind mm-hmm. uh, everything you know in your home. I mean, anyone who's you know immigrants now, it's just the promise of you know something better. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Poor Booker. Yeah, but yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. Um, I I always try and be sympathetic with, you know, different opinions. I mean, yeah, no one knows what you would do if the circumstance, I mean, we are, you know, used to freedoms and these kinds of ideas Mm -hmm. and our expectations. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it takes courage for anybody at any time to sort of, you know, pack up and and leave um, what they know as, you know, terrible as it Mm -hmm. is you know the sort of unknown is also a, a scary thing but yeah i think um just to circle back on to jim crow yes. i think uh i know you've been uh tweeting a lot about that too just maybe did you want to do a little bit of a brief history for people that may not know a little bit about the jim croaks we're talking about the jim crow effect yes. but yeah i'll talk about that
1: well, basically, Jim Crow, in a nutshell, was basically like a state early racial caste system, which operated primarily, but not exclusively in the South. Most people thought it was just basically southern and border, border states. Mm-hmm. But it happened between 1877 and the mid-1960s, based on a character by the name of Jim Crow. Um, it was a character created by a guy that was used basically in blackface that kind of demeaned uh, African-American people. Uh, he would speak in a dialect that was, you know, I'll say kind of like um it made it kinda made us appear like we were dumb, you know, uh like, comes here, folks and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. That wasn't, you know, dialect primarily used by white people, it was used by enslaved uh, Africans, um, because of the time we was learning another language and they tried to mimic us and try to degrade us. And part of the way that he was clothed, he was clothed like a, a dressed up uh, you know, African American tried to appear like he's stylish but um in a way buffoonish as far as his character mm-hmm. and so the the mm-hmm. idea of jim crow was taken from that character and it was it became a law and basically mm-hmm. jim crow is really the descendant of laws that were in place during slavery where you had the slave laws where it was basically a code of conduct how you need to act if you're a slave which later became more or less the black laws or black codes. Um, so it really kind of derived from that. It's a progression from the slave code to black laws or codes that eventually became the Jim Crow law. So they're interrelated or interconnected to one another and they became a reality uh, because once we were free from slavery in 1865, uh, people didn't want that lifestyle to change. They wanted to maintain that lifestyle and they found ways to keep that lifestyle going, even though in the books it said mm-hmm. we were free. We weren't free. Mm-hmm. You know, le- you know, we weren't free as far as experience. We didn't experience freedom, even though legally we were.
0: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's uh, yeah, the lasting power of that representation um, is is just phenomenal mm-hmm. um it's it's a very uh, powerful you know uh, yeah very very powerful message that i think uh you know still affects people's attitudes today and like the belief in this artificial hierarchy and caste system system of the mm-hmm. races of there's uh, you know the human race there's just one mm-hmm. race but exactly. uh, you know, there's that idea that, you know, it's, it's amazing what uh, one bad idea can do to some people. So, yeah, I
1: agree. I agree with you. But the the good Mm -hmm. thing we have to look at it, because one thing about me, I like to see the good and the bad is that all Mm -hmm. of these things were the catalyst for a great opportunity. It, It created an opportunity where, which we'll get into that the following, uh, podcast, podcast, excuse me. Uh, whereas we can talk about the Harlem Renaissance because all of these things created the Avenue for us to, to go to different places throughout the country. But a lot of African-Americans settled in Harlem. Uh, it was only three square miles, but it it had over 175,000 people there. And because that large Mm -hmm. concentration was there, it was a powder keg of creativity. Um, and so many great things happened there and you know i would i would ask your listeners uh stay tuned we we got the best is yet to come because uh next week we're really going to dive into the harlem renaissance and really talk about the the level of creativity that went on but um there's so much to talk about Mm -hmm. and so much to hear and listen to (laughs) or listen to so we definitely want people to stay tuned in to the next episode
0: Absolutely. I mean, that choice of, you know, the human desire desire to be free, uh, leading to great migration. And then um, that, as you said, just being the opportunity for all of the creativity um, through the the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be a great talk. I can't wait to talk about it with you. uh, Yeah, it's going to be great just learning about this very important piece in uh black culture yeah, and
1: black absolutely history. absolutely. I'm enjoying every moment of it
0: yeah, me too.